is up mission hey uh, if we've never met before my name is taylor hunt and i get to lead our middle school and high school students here at mission and man whether you're here in the room out in the lobby uh, or sitting on the patio or tuning in online man it's good to be together today uh, i just can't believe that christmas is already right around the corner anybody else doing last minute things all week long just me? That's great. Uh, and you know, I love the Christmas time and the Christmas season, but it is funnier as I'm getting older, I'm learning that there are some things that I don't love so much about Christmas. And you know, maybe I'm just entering my Grinch era, uh, but some of those things are like eggnog. Why do we even have it? I don't think anyone drinks it. Um, also deviled eggs, it's in the name. So I'm just saying, don't be eating that. Uh, I also just don't really like buying gifts for people that send me vague hints of what they maybe kind of want for Christmas and do like the Christmas shopping guessing game. Send me the Amazon link, all right? I'm just saying technology will save disappointment and shopping for me. Uh, and then my least favorite thing about Christmas has got to be holiday traffic. Is anybody else with me? I mean... Nothing says Merry Christmas quite like being on the 101 and having some Feliz Navidadlock like while you're sitting there in bumper to bumper. Uh, and I actually heard a story about a man in Texas who was running late for work during the holiday season. And so he called in to his coworker to leave him a voicemail to let him know that he was running late. And luckily for us, this guy narrated an entire scene that he saw unfold between four old ladies and a guy um, in a car that wrecked together. And he caught it all on this voicemail. So why don't you listen to this real quick? Hey, Mark, excuse me. I'm on my way to 3768. Kind of got hung up. It's raining out here. I'm on my way into Dallas. Uh, Jerry's probably going to be calling you to find out uh, where I'm at if he can't get a hold of me, I'm sure. So, uh, thought, whoa, whoa. Man, I just had a wreck right in front of me. This guy ran a red light and hit, uh, hit four old ladies in, a, in an Impala. Just kind of clipped them and turned them around right in front of me, man. That was close. Oh, now this guy's getting out of his car. Got a, he's got a white shirt on with a tie and a cigarette hanging out of his mouth. He's throwing his hands up there like he, like, like it was their fault. Oh, uh, hold on, hold on. He's going over their window. Oh man, she, I think she sprayed him with pepper spray, man. He's on his, he's on his face and he's on his knees. She's getting out, she's beating him with an umbrella. <laughs> the other women are getting out too. <laughs> Come on. 
you can't help but laugh when that guy is laughing, right? So if you get in traffic or a wreck this year, just saying, call somebody and leave a voicemail. Uh, but hey, we are continuing in a series today that we've been in called Why in the World? And we've looked over the past couple of weeks at this question, like, why in the world did Jesus come? And so the first week we looked at the fact that he came to fulfill the law. And then last week we looked at the fact that he came to seek and save. And today we are talking about how Jesus came to bless the world. And, you know, maybe for some of us today, our first impression of Christianity, of Christians, of God, Jesus, or the Bible, man, it's felt a little bit like getting hit over the head with a Bible. And it's felt more like a burden than a blessing. You know, maybe for some of us, our impression of following Jesus has been this big list of rules, these things that were so hard to follow, and it felt like anything but a blessing in our life. You know, uh, what we think about God, how we picture him, what we think he's like, it will determine the relationship we have with him. And so if we think that he is harsh and demanding, just waiting to hit us over the head, then we will not have a good relationship with him. We will keep our distance. If we think that God is condemning, looking to put us on his naughty list, then we will carry around a lot of shame. If we think that God is vague and impersonal, this distant person off in the clouds, then we're not going to have a personal relationship with him. Our picture of God will affect how we see our lives, how we see ourselves, how we see other people, and how we choose to live our lives. But man, luckily for us, when we crack open the pages of the Bible, we will see this picture of God that is so much bigger and so much better than we could ever imagine. We will see a God who is more powerful, more beautiful, more joyful, more loving, more engaged in your story and in my story than we could ever imagine. And then we'll see from the very beginning, God's plan was not to burden us, but to bless us. And God had a plan from the very beginning to bless the whole world. In fact, in one of the opening stories of the Bible, God comes to this guy named Abram, and he says, go from your country and your people and your father's household to the land that I will show you. God tells Abram to leave his country, his relatives, his family, these things that represented identity and security for Abram. God says, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. See, God promised to Abraham that he would have a child, and that from his lineage, God would someday bless the whole wide world. And that is kind of a big deal promise. And God says, not only will I bless you, but you will be blessed to be a blessing. And the words blessed and blessing appear five times in these two short verses. And these were not common words in the day. See, people did not bless each other in Abram's day. They conquered each other. They killed each other. They enslaved each other. Kingdoms and families would use and abuse each other, but they would not bless each other. You know, in my house this holiday season, uh, we have been watching a lot of the latest Grinch movie um, because my two-year-old Henley, she just loves it and wants to watch the Grinch story. And so whenever I was reading this story, it sounded a little Dr. Seussy to me uh, because God comes to Abram and he says, congratulations, Abram, today is your day. You're off to great places. You're off and away. Leave your father and mother, your sisters and brothers. Leave your nation and land to a place that is grand. 
I will bless your name and I will give you fame. I'll bless your kids, bless your wife, and you will have a hashtag blessed life. And people from all races and places, from all nations and tribes will be blessed because of you, because you are who my blessing is going to come through. I know, I'm sorry. I have a long way to go to being a Dr. Seuss. But God says to Abram, you are blessed to be a blessing, which honestly sounds great to me. I mean, sign me up for that hashtag blessed life. But here's the problem with this blessing. See, just a few verses earlier, right before this in chapter 11, we are told that Abram's wife, Sarah, was unable to become pregnant and she had no children. And so Abram and Sarah are both probably like, really? A great nation? We would just like to have a great nursery. God, we have a problem here. We have cried. We have been shunned. We have been looked down upon. We have grieved and thought that you were holding out on us. God, people have cast us aside. They have made our name and our family have been ridiculed all because we can't conceive. So God, I think you've got the wrong couple for this blessing because we are not blessed. We are barren. I mean, have you ever been there? Ever been in a season where your life felt more barren than blessed? Ever had an impression of God like he was holding out on you? You know, some of us here today, we are in a season where our life feels like anything but a blessing. You know, maybe we've just received a diagnosis. Maybe we're in a season of watching our son or our daughter give into their addiction. Maybe we're in a season of infertility. Maybe we're in a season of a messy divorce. Maybe we're in a season where we're in the midst of an abusive situation. Maybe this is the first Christmas since they passed. Maybe we're in a season of grief, of depression, of anxiety. Maybe you're here today and your impression of God is anything but a God of blessing. And maybe you're sitting here thinking today, God, why in the world would you do this to me? And if we go back to Abram's story, wouldn't this whole encounter with God be confusing? Wouldn't this blessing, this promise feel impossible, maybe even a little bit cruel? But Abram did have faith in God and in his promise. And Abram went as the Lord told him. And Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. And you, later this week, like, you've got to read the story of Abraham and binge watch it sometime this week by, like, reading through Genesis 11 to 25. That's, like, the script of the story. And it is a wild and crazy story. And parts of it look like they are anything but blessed. Because it has moments that really look like scenes from like The Handmaid's Tale because Abram sleeps with Sarah's servant Hagar in an attempt to conceive and have children because they don't think that God will come through. And then Abram receives the gift, the sign of circumcision as a gift from God, which sounds like the one gift you do not want to find under your Christmas tree this year. Uh, God changes Abram's name to Abraham, which meant father of nations or multiples, which Abraham probably thought, I just want to be the father of one. And finally, when Abraham was at the ripe age of 100 and Sarah was at 90 years old, they finally conceived and gave birth to a son named Isaac. Well, like at this point in the story, they should be wearing diapers, not change them, all right? <laughs> But God kept his promise and his blessing through them to the entire world. It continues to unfold. See, Isaac would have two sons, Jacob and Esau. 
And with a goat and a coat, Jacob pulled like an Ocean's Eleven level heist. He duped his dad, Isaac, and he stole the inheritance from his brother. I mean, talk about your blessing. Uh, Then Jacob would go on and he would have 12 sons, one of them named Joseph, who wore this technicolor dream coat. His dad likes me better than you jacket. And all of his brothers hated him for it. And so one day, one of the brothers named Judah suggests that they take Joseph's coat. They go and they kill a goat and then they wipe the blood of the goat on the coat and then tell their dad that their brother has been killed. But instead, they sold Joseph as a slave into Egypt. I mean, you think you've got some sibling rivalry, all right? And then after Joseph spent 20 years in Egypt, that little stay, uh, he consisted of him working as a slave, a short stint in prison. But then Joseph is raised to the number two position in all of the land as he prepares a place for Judah and the other brothers, his family, to survive a nationwide famine. And then for the next 400 years... Abraham's descendants, they live in Egypt. They multiply. They become the nation of Israel and eventually become Egyptian slaves, the disposable working force living in brutal conditions. And Abraham's descendants, the nation of Israel, they cried out to God in their pain. And I'm sure it sounded something like, God, where are you? God, this is not a blessing. This is a burden. God, have you forgotten God, do you not see? God, do you not care? God, have you left us? And the funny thing was, God did care. And God did move. He sets them free. And so much of the rest of the story of the Old Testament is between God and these people, this nation, and these people that God had made a promise to. And is a story of God protecting them, loving them, leading them, guiding to them, speaking them, forgiving them. And then they abandon him. Then they come back to him. Then they trust him. Then they forget him. Then they doubt him. Then they worship him. Then they follow him. Then they run away from him. Anybody else relate to that? Just me? Cool. And so their story... It's filled with great triumphs in times of great defeat. It's filled with miracles, pain, war, bloody battles, rules and regulations, unity and captivity, seasons of awe and wonder, and seasons of wandering in the desert. And towards the end of the Old Testament, this family, this nation, these people, they did not look blessed. And they sure weren't a blessing to anybody else. And then the Old Testament just ends. The writings, the prophecies, the promises, the story unfolding. God appears to go radio silent for 400 years once again. 400 years of nothing. 400 years of prayer without an answer. 400 years without a word from God. You know, in the Bible, there's normally one page between the Old and the New Testament. But that one blank page represents 400 years of tears. 400 years of waiting on a promise. 400 years of waiting for something that looked remotely like a blessing. 400 years of painful silence. 400 years of longing and looking. 400 years of waiting. You know, I heard someone say one time that we spend about 10% of our life, like in the mountaintop moments. We spend about 10 to 20%, you know, in the valley moments. And then we spend about 70 to 80% of our life wandering and waiting. And so I'm just betting that there's some of us in here today, and we are in a season of waiting. We are in a season of wondering what God is doing, in a season of wondering where God is even at, if he sees us, if he hears us. Maybe we're in a season of waiting on results. Maybe we're waiting for treatment. 
Maybe we're just waiting for this season to end. Maybe we're waiting for a new season to begin. We're waiting for a new job, waiting to hear the verdict, waiting for the grief to go away. We're just stuck waiting on God. And man, if that's you today, what I've been learning is if that I will lean in, God will work in our waiting. If we lean into him, he changes us in our waiting. And as we wait, we can put his hope or put our hope in his word and his promises to us that he sees us, that he's for us, that he's with us, that he's available. And if we surrender to him, he will shape us and mold us and give us a deeper faith that we didn't have before. And after 400 years of waiting, do you know how God breaks the radio silence? See, when you flip from Malachi to Matthew, from Old Testament to New Testament, you'll see God's response in Matthew chapter chapter 1. It says, this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, son of David, the son of Abraham. Which Ancestry.com results, like what? (laughs) 400 years of waiting, and God gives a list of names? 400 years of waiting, and this is God's response? I mean, these are the parts of the Bible that you skip over, not that he responds with, but it goes on and says, Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob, Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. Those names sound familiar? David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Solomon, the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam, the father of Abijah. Abijah, the father of Asa. And these names represent so much more than a list of potential baby names for you. Like, see these names. There are over 40 of them, and they represent 42 generations, spanning over 2,000 years. Elihud, the father of Eleazar. Eleazar, the father of Matan. Matan, the father of Jacob. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. And Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. See, this list of names is God's way of saying, I love it when a plan comes together. See, this genealogy represents the fulfillment of God's initial blessing to Abraham, that the whole world would be blessed through him, because through his family, the line of Jesus would come. And Abraham was the originator of the blessing, but Jesus is the culminator of the blessing. Abraham received the promise, but Jesus fulfilled the promise, and God's blessing moved through all of history, from a person, Abraham, to a people, Israel, to all people because of Jesus. And his plan was always all people for all time. Man, what a blessing. See, in Ephesians 3, it says this. This was his eternal plan, which he carried out through Christ Jesus our Lord. And God's plan all along was to bless the world through Jesus so that we could be blessed to be a blessing. See, what does that mean for us? You know, typically whenever we think of the word bless, uh, we just think it's something that we say, you know, after people sneeze, you know, oh, bless you. Um, Or if you're in the South, you never want to hear someone look at you and say, oh, bless your heart, because that's shorthand for you're an idiot. (laughs) You know, in our culture, we think that blessings are things that look like a picture-perfect house, a picture-perfect husband, a nice red Lamborghini, zeros in a bank account, a vacation in the Bahamas. We think blessings, you know, are things like our cholesterol, um, having an iron gut, a full head of hair, rock-hard abs. But the problem with the things that we think of as blessings is that those things fade. They are temporary. Cars break down. Money fluctuates. Talent diminishes. Bodies shift and sag. Wrinkles happen. Hair falls out. And no amount of Rogaine can bring that hair back, all right? You can ask Jim Sheldon about it, all right? It is all temporary. 
How many of you guys, uh, another thing that I hate about Christmas has got to be Christmas puzzles. Um, anybody over the next couple of weeks going to pull out a Christmas puzzle? Anybody in here have the Christmas puzzle out on the table somewhere? Um, see, the problem is I used to like the Christmas puzzle, but then one year for Christmas, my sister got this puzzle, um, a Duck Dynasty, Duck the Halls puzzle. And so I spent, I kid you not, three hours sorting through different colors of beard hair just to try to get this puzzle completed, all right? It was terrible. And here's the funny thing about the Christmas puzzle. You know, you will spend hours sorting through beard hair or sorting through different colors of snow or shades or whatever. You will spend hours trying to get every piece just in the right place. You know, fights will break out with your outlaws. I mean, your in-laws, like over which part of snow goes where? Like whether this is a part of the gingerbread house or is this the horse's hair? Like what could this be? You will spend hours and weeks and weeks of working. And when you have finally completed the puzzle, when you have finally gotten everything right, you will probably be missing a piece, and it is the worst. And then if you finally find that piece, after it's sat on the table for like a day or two, you'll take that thing apart, and it will all go back in the box. And the reality is, at the end of our lives, everything that we have worked so hard to get, Everything that we have worked so hard to achieve, all of these things that we think are blessings, money, cars, houses, positions, titles, even our health, it all goes back in the box. But man, thank God that because of Jesus, we have some blessings that do not fade. In Ephesians 1, it says, Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. John 1, it says, From his abundance we have all received one gracious blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses, but God's unfailing love and faithfulness came through Jesus Christ. See, the blessing God promised to Abraham was that of a new family, a new inheritance, and a new future. And through Jesus, those blessings are things that we get to, like we are signed, sealed, and delivered. We get those things this year under our Christmas tree. Ephesians 1, it says, even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. And God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. Christ. See, that means we get a brand new family. We get to be children of God, adopted, accepted, secured, loved, and nothing can take that from us. Ephesians 1 later goes on and says, when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. And that means we get a new inheritance. Because of Jesus' death, we are gifted the Holy Spirit. So God lives in us, and he leads us, guides us, convicts us, comforts us, empowers us, and he never leaves us, and he never will. He has given that to us. In Acts 3, it says, God said to Abraham, through your descendants, all the families on earth will be blessed. And when God raised up his servant Jesus, he sent him first to you, people of Israel, to bless you by turning each of you back from your sinful ways. In 2 Corinthians, it says that God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sins so that we could be made right with God through Christ. And in Psalm 103, it says, as far as the sunrise is from sunset, he has separated us from our sins. And that means we get a new future. 
Our past does not define us. Our sins are forgiven. Our future is secure. We are signed, sealed, delivered. We are his. Man, what a blessing. And so the question is, if we are blessed to be a blessing, are we? Are we, as followers of Jesus, are we a blessing to others? Or are we a burden? Are we just trying to keep our blessing? Or are we trying to give it away? Are we trying to stockpile our blessing? Or are we living open-handed to sit with others, to welcome others, to see others the way that he sees them? And also, am I a blessing? Because if Jesus came into the world to be a blessing, which means that he came to make it better, shouldn't his followers make it better? And so are people better off because you're their neighbor? Are your kids better off because you're their dad? Do you use your words, your time, your money to be a blessing to other people? Are your co-workers better off because you sit next to them? Is your boss better off? Because he employed you? Is your husband better off because you're his wife? Are your friends better off because you're their friend? Would people in my world and would people in your world say that you're a blessing? See, it's crazy that the story of God from the very first book of the Bible that we looked at today through Abraham, God had a plan. And his plan was to restore relationship with people like us through Jesus, his coming, his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection purpose was to bless the world. And man, how good is he? See, a final thing that I don't really like that much about Christmas uh, is every year at Christmas, we always ask this question, you know, especially to little kids, like, how good have you been? Like, have you been socks good or like new phone good, you know? And, you know, I heard a... uh, a pastor named Scott Nichols say recently that the question that we should be asking at Christmas isn't how good have you been, but it's, man, how good is he? Like, how good is he that he would take our sin and our shame and make us clean? How good is he that he would be born in a barn for messy people just like me? How good is he that he did not come to make us nice, he came to make us new? How good is he that while we were dead in our sins, he sent his son for us? How good is he? That he would remove my guilt and remove my shame and give me freedom. How good is he that he would make my empty life whole? How good is he that he would pay the price for all of my mistakes, past, present, future, for all my secret sins? How good is he that he would give us a new family, a new inheritance, a new future? How good is he that over 2,000 years ago on a hillside in Bethlehem, his angels would proclaim good news of great joy for all people? How good is he that he would fulfill the law, seek and save? and bless the world and how good is he that he brought you and he brought me right here not only to hear a story of blessing but so that way we can live a story of blessing man how good is he that he would bless someone like me and that he would bless someone like you so that we could be a blessing And here in just a moment, we're actually going to respond um, in some worship. And when we worship, man, we are proclaiming blessings back to the one who has blessed us. We're going to remember how good he is. And we're going to give him all of the glory, all of the honor, all of the praise for all of the ways that he has blessed us with blessings that will never fade. So let's pray together and then we'll respond. Cal, we just thank you. 
God, we thank you that you're a God that loves us. God, we thank you that you're a God that is for us. And God, we thank you that you came not to condemn the world, but God, you came to save the world. I mean, God, I know for so many of us, we have this picture of you in our mind. God, that you were just waiting to catch us in the act. That you're waiting just to catch us making a mistake. And so, God, would you remind us today that you came to give us new life. And, God, I know some of us, we are stuck in the waiting today. And, God, we're wondering where you're at. We're feeling like we are living this life that is a burden and barren. But, God, would you just remind us today that we have a blessing that will never spoil or fade. God, that we can lean into you in our seasons of waiting. And, God, we can know that you are a God who is faithful and true. And, God, we just thank you for the story of Christmas and how it reminds us that you are a God who came for every single one of us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.